Psalm chapter 3, if you will stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm chapter 3. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God, Salah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Salah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousand of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheek bone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Salam. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the safety, the security, the comfort that we find in being your children. God, you do not guarantee that we will not die, that we will not face famine or pestilence or sword, but that you will overcome the trouble that we face, even death itself. As the world fills with fear, help your saints to be filled with something completely different. The love that drives out that fear. Lord, I thank you for loving us. Enough to send your son Jesus to die on the cross on our behalf. For taking away our sin and our debt of sin. Paying for all of it the precious blood of your Son. And Lord, I pray that as we go through this Old Testament psalm, that you will help us to see the faith of our forefathers, people who lived on this earth and believed you and trusted you to be their salvation and their deliverer. In Jesus' name I pray. When you look at the psalm, many times there'll be something before it. And if you see this, it says a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. I want to give you a little background about this story. Anybody in here have family drama? I don't want to know it. I just want to know if you have it. Anybody? Lots of people in here have family drama. You could go back to your family tree and, and talk about all the nuts that are there. I mean... David made some big mistakes. Now, we're going through the Bible story for the kids, and they leave out a lot of details because kids don't need to know all that drama. In fact, when I grew up, I started to learn stuff about my aunts and uncles and grandparents that I never knew when I was just left at their house for babysitting, you know. Just, uh, there's all kinds of family drama that goes on. And reading through the Old Testament, sometimes you deal with some of that drama, and it actually helps us as adults to be able to cope with some of the stuff that we face. <coughs> Well, you probably know the story of David and Bathsheba. You probably know that he saw her. He wasn't supposed to be home. He should have been off at war, but he was home and walking around on his roof, and he saw a naked woman bathing on her roof. That was Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba was one of his mighty men's wife. 
Uriah the Hittite. He was listed amongst David's mighty men. We talked about the men that showed up in the cave. Could have been one of them. But that mighty man was off at war where he should have been. And David took Bathsheba and got her pregnant. And so he sent for Uriah and tried to get him to stay with his wife overnight. And he wouldn't do it. He was too honorable. While all the other men were all fighting, he wasn't going to do that. So he didn't. So David said, what am I going to do? Oh, yeah, I'll get him drunk. He got him drunk. He tried to send him home. He still wouldn't go. And as a result of all that, he decided to have Uriah killed. God was not happy. David thought that he had covered up all his problems and... God sent a prophet to talk to him. The prophet told him a story about a man that had a little lamb and somebody who had plenty of sheep took that man's lamb. And David pronounced judgment upon him and the prophet looked at him and said, It's you. It's you! So David repented of his sin and got right with God. He said, God, you're the one that I sinned against. You can read that later on in the psalm. We'll address that when we get there. But as a result of David's sin of murder and adultery and all the things that he did, God pronounced judgment upon his house and the sword is not going to leave David's house from here on out. Well, David has a son named Absalom. Absalom has a sister named Tamar. Tamar has a half-brother, Absalom and Tamar's half-brother named Amnon. And he falls in love with his half-sister and decides that he wants to be with her and convinces her to come to his place and fix him some food. He was lying. A buddy of him told him what to do. And then he takes advantage of her. We'll just leave it at that since there are children in the audience. She's disgraced. And after taking advantage of her, instead of, you know, trying to cover up her shame, he dismisses her and won't have anything to do with her. And so she goes to live in her brother Absalom's house. Now all this is a result of what happened with David and Uriah and Bathsheba. That's why I told that story first. I want you to understand that your sin will have generational consequences. Sometimes to the third and fourth generation. So be careful what you do in your life. Absalom is understandably upset that his sister has been taken advantage of been used and discarded. The king has lots of sons and he invites all of them to come to the sheep sharing, which is like a festival. It's a, a time to get together and celebrate. You know, it's kind of like a harvest time where you got lots of goods around and people celebrate and make money and, and they feast together. And in the middle of that, he kills his brother that took advantage of his sister. Half-brother. David thinks they're all dead, but they're not. And it's just the one. And David grieves and mourns the loss of his son who had done something despicable, but he was still his son. Absalom goes into exile and stays there for a while. But David's uncle, Joab, he, he convinces David that, that Absalom needs to come back. And so finally, you know, David calls him back to be back amongst his people. But he refuses to see him. what family drama does, right? It causes separation. We're about to go into Thanksgiving. There's going to be some folks that don't show up or do show up. And I, I get to do it with weddings and funerals. And there's you'd be surprised if they say, don't let them in. Absalom's there, but David won't see him. 
So Absalom begins, begins to get angry and upset. He said, you should have just left me where I was because I began to set down roots there and you brought me back here. What for? And so he comes up in his mind with a scheme. He's going to be nice and kind to everybody and overthrow his father as king. So if somebody comes to the gate with a problem and, and he'll say, the king's too busy for you, but I'll listen to you. And he starts to develop a relationship with all the people around him. And then Absalom gets a following so much so that he's ready to oust his father. When David finds out, he has to run away against him. There's a lot that's happened since Saul's day with David living in a cave. David has won many battles. He's become king. Not only in Hebron, but moved to Jerusalem, and he's been there for a long time as king. But because he slept with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, the sword does not leave David's house. So that's the background of this story, that David is kind of in exile from his own kingdom. He's, he's running for his life with his family, and he's taking them. They're moving slowly. But this, this psalm is kind of about that when he flees from Absalom, his son. So in verse 1 of chapter 3, uh, <clears throat> it says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Your kids ever give you any trouble? Many are they that rise up against me. He's got a lot of kids. I've got six. Do you think they ever trouble me? Nah. Five daughters? Me and the boy, we need to build us a hideout. When it gets old enough, we probably will. We'll go off on hunting trips or something. We may not kill a thing, but time, it won't matter. How are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Why? Because David sinned, and this is a consequence of his sin. He's going to face it for the rest of his life. God pronounced judgment. It's a curse upon David's house. And so his enemies will increase. I want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 18. And, and we're just looking kind of at the end of the story. And, and I want to do this because I want you to see what it costs David for his sin with Bathsheba. He's already got one son that was killed by his brother. And listen to what happens at the end of the story in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 31. You can watch it on the screen if you like. 2 Samuel 18, verse 31, uh, through the end of the chapter there, it says, And behold, Cushai came, and Cushai said, Tidings, my lord the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. So David said, A lot of people have risen up against me. And this man comes to him in celebration, saying, God has, has taken care of it all. Verse 32, And the king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord the king and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. Absalom is dead. The king did everything that he could to try to save Absalom's life. In fact, he told all the men that were going out there to fight against Absalom and his men, Try to preserve my son's life. Keep him alive. And they had the chance because Absalom, he had so much hair. Uh, you want to talk about a man having hair? He had so much hair that he would sell it every year and make money off of his hair. That was a, that was a flock of hair. I mean, just. But at this time, he was riding uh, and, 
and his hair got caught in a tree. And he was hanging by his hair. That's a lot of hair. And somebody comes and tells Joab, we found Absalom. He said, did you kill him? I said, no, we didn't kill him. We hurt the king. And he said, you idiot. And he goes off there and he has them kill him altogether. And then he tries to get on to the one that didn't kill him. And he said, now you know if I'd have killed him, you'd have killed me. Because I heard the king tell you not to kill him. But Absalom's dead. Verse 33, and the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God that I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Sin has consequences. David would have rather died than his son, but this is a fulfillment of God's promise to David that the sword would not leave his house because of what he did to Uriah and Bathsheba. Verse 2, Psalm chapter 3. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God so long. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. This is where you find that Absalom has run David out of the city. He's about to attack, and, and David finds out. So he gets all of his people together, and he begins to leave. Well, in the process, there was a Benjamite that hated him. Uh, Saul is a Benjamite. So, so from the previous dynasty, there were still people that hated David because they loved Saul, their king. And so uh, this is one of those people. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. It says, And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. So he comes out of his house cursing David, the routed king. And he cast stones at David. He's a brave person. Don't, don't you know David's the one that cast the stone at the giant? Now David is having stones cast at him. And all the servants of, the, of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. When was the last time you read this story? When was the last time you really knew who David was? Yeah, he was king, but people hated him. He was a real person. Just like you and me. He faced real problems. Just like you and me. He had real sin. Just like you and me. And he had real consequences to that sin. Just like us. Verse 9. Then said Abishai the son of Zerariah unto the king. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over I pray thee and take off his head. Which he very well could have done. 
David had some ruthless people around him that wanted to defend his honor. But David is humble and he knows that he has no honor except for what God gives him. So listen to David's response. Verse 10. And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zerah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? He said, If God told him to come out and curse me, he might as well go ahead. It's not the man that's cursing me, it's God. David was there when the prophet showed up and said, Your house will face And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth from my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. He said, If my own son is doing this to me, what do I have to worry about that person? Because a person that is so close to me is doing the very same thing. You ever had somebody close to you betray you? A family member? A friend? It hurts. And David is wounded by that. Verse 12, It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones and cast dust. So it didn't just happen once. He followed with him continuing to curse him, continuing to throw rock. You ever been hit by a dirt clod or a rock? Raise your hand, I want to see. Yeah, how's that feel? You're still sitting here, so it didn't kill you. Makes you mad. I had, I had a, a bully one time, some in my family. I still remember it to this day. That threw some really, really, really hard dirt clods at me. And it hurt, it made me mad. Taking me a long time to forgive it, but I, I, I really have trouble forgetting it, you know. I will say this David doesn't forget what this man does. And though he never takes vengeance upon him himself, when he goes to pass his kingdom to his son Solomon, he said, Don't forget this guy. And Solomon doesn't. Solomon has him killed. Verse 14. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. So, you know, this is a big, long story, and I'm trying to sum it up as much as I can, but you need to understand the dynamics of what's going on when he's writing this psalm. Because anytime you read a psalm and it says, in this situation, you kind of want to know what the situation is. If you're thrown in prison because of your faithfulness to the Lord, write a song about it and sing it. You will be afflicted, whether for doing right or wrong. Do not forsake your God in your affliction. Job said, even if you kill me, I'm going to trust you. That's faith. And I want this church to be full of people with faith in God and recognize their own sin and humble themselves before God the way David did when this man came out to curse him. David had the power in his hands to take that man's life immediately, and he didn't do it. He left it up to the next king, the next regime. Just like at many times, David had the power to take Saul's life, the king before him, 
but he didn't do it. And this man's come out to accuse him of all kinds of stuff, and he really only wants to act upon God's word in his life. All right. Let's look at verse 3. It says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. Now, I want you to remember something. When you read through the Old Testament and you read some of these characters and, and you begin to judge their lives and their stories, understand that God has decided that these are the people that are going to represent him in the world. They did not have a Bible like you did. They didn't know the whole story and what was going on. They had to live their lives by faith in God and he was not there every day for them to talk to. They just had to believe and trust in him. God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so looking at that, I want to turn back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. So we're going back to the first book of the Bible. And people like Abraham, they didn't have a Bible. So how did they build their faith? What did they do? When God interacted with them, they believed him. And so Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, it says... After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. You are going to be shot at, whether physically or metaphorically. People are going to say words against you. Some of y'all are like a recluse. You don't ever get out of your house. You don't want to see people because you're afraid they'll say something mean and ugly to you. Some of y'all might thrive off of that. You want to go out there where all the drama is and spend time in it and meddle around a little bit. Some of y'all are shooting darts at others, just throwing out words all the time, making up lies and gossip. We need God to shield us. Why? Because this is a dangerous place that we live in. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will kill you. They'll kill you. They'll get you killed. They'll make somebody so mad that they will shoot at you, and it could be a lie. You need the protection of God in your life. You need Him to shield you from stuff. In fact, if you're sitting here, God has probably already protected you from a lot of things, and you might not have even known what they were. My wife was driving up at Ryan Anzie's school, uh, the Eagle Homeschool group there, and she was in our big white van. It's sitting out here. It's a 12-passenger van. And they had a gate at that school that was supposed to be open outside, but instead somebody had opened it to the inside. And she was going up a hill and could not see that that gate was pointed towards the front of that van. And it went across the hood in the front windshield past her ear and out the back glass on the left-hand side of that vehicle. Now that was a close call. It could have took, taken her head clean off. The Lord was her shield. But that's not the first time that God has protected her while she was driving around. She was driving on the interstate between Jackson and Memphis one time with our two oldest daughters. They were young and in car seats, but they could talk. 
It was raining and flooding, and all of a sudden, the car that she was in hydroplaned. It hydroplaned to the point that she went off the interstate, down an embankment, and there was a row of trees there. I won't tell you the first thing that came to her mind, but the second thing was, Lord, help me! <laughs> Lord, help me. Now, I wasn't there. I was, I was at home. That vehicle went straight between two trees and came to rest out in the field. The police officer told her when they finally got to her, it took a while to get some help because nobody could see her. said, ma'am, this is a miracle because I recently worked a wreck where somebody went off in a flat field and flipped six or seven times. My oldest daughter said, Mama, why did we go driving through the bushes? <laughs> because an angel of the Lord was her shield. You need God. To shield you. I don't care how strong or powerful you are. It is a dangerous thing to live in this world. You need him as a shield. He was a shield for Abraham. He was Abraham's reward. Verse 2, And Abraham said, Lord God, what would thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if they be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham was righteous because he believed God when God spoke David has built up a faith in God that will trust him even in exile. Running from his own son who is trying to kill him. And that faith pays off because David dies of a ripe old age instead of at the hands of his son. Verse 4. I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill, said I. For verse 4, I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24. You don't have to turn to all these. They'll be on the screen because we've got several verses to make it through. Isaiah 65, 24 says, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Have your kids ever come to you to ask for something you already knew what they wanted? Sometimes you say, no, just by them saying your name. Now, why did you say no? Because you knew what they were going to ask. Now, why wouldn't you give them everything that they asked for? Because they don't know what they need. They know what they want, but they don't know what they need. You cannot have cake for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You, know, you can't do it. It's not going to be possible. No, it's bedtime. You're not drinking a Dr. Pepper. I'm not going to stay up while you come down off of that sugar high. Just not going to do it. God knows what you need before you ask of it. And so in Isaiah, it says he'll answer you. He's listening before you even speak. He knows your request. 
Now, if it's possible for a parent to know that about a child, don't you think that God knows that about you? He still tells us to ask him for things, and that's fine. He wants us to have a relationship with him, but he also wants us to accept the things that he tells us that we need. It's usually something like this. No, you can't have Dr. Pepper. You can have water, though. But I don't want that, God. I don't want this. I don't want that. You'll tell God you don't want everything that he's trying to give you when he's trying to give you everlasting life and peace and joy. And from your limited perspective, you think you want something, but what you really need is God's will. And David has learned to surrender himself to that. So he says in verse 4, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Salah. Verse 5, I laid me down and I slept. I wait, for the Lord sustained me. For verse 5, I'm going to turn back to Isaiah again in verse 26, 3. It says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusted Guess what happens if you don't have any peace? Your mind is somewhere else. Your perfect peace comes from focusing on God. Peter could walk on water. Everybody talks about Jesus walking on water, but people forget that Peter walked on water briefly. Then sheer panic came over his face because he saw the wind and the waves and he began to sink. You see, the one who made the wind and the waves was the one he was looking at when he got out of the boat. But because Peter was so afraid of the circumstances around him, he took his eyes off of the master and he began to sink and he lost his peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. There is nothing you're going to face on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't care what comes on the news. I don't care what you hear. I don't even care if death itself comes knocking at your door. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you have nothing to be afraid of. He is the Prince of what? Peace. Peace. And how can He provide such peace? It's because He defeated death. He's already beat that enemy. He's already overcome. It is finished. Even though we know that the last enemy to be defeated on this earth will be death. Our faith in Him helps us to face death with hope, with peace, even with joy. I laid me down and slept. I waked the Lord sustained me. God keeps you in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on Him. If you can't sleep at night and it's because you're afraid or have anxiety, why don't you try focusing on the Lord? I tell my kids, start reading your Bible, you'll fall asleep like that. <laughs> the devil don't want you reading the Bible. I mean, they got apps on your phone, you can just listen to it until you conk out. It'll still be there when you wake up. Oh, preacher, I try to pray and I try to read my Bible, but I keep falling asleep. Fine, take a nap. Don't you know that God can speak to you in dreams and in visions? He can do whatever He needs to do to get through to you. Just keep reading. 
Just keep praying. Lay me down and slept, and I waked, for the Lord sustained me. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people that have set themselves against me round about. Very popular verse that goes with this one, Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What have you learned about the rod of Jesus Christ? It's made out of iron. And it can dash to pieces those that set themselves up against God. David doesn't have to worry about a multitude. Whatever host the world can put together because the Lord of all hosts is the one he's following. He's the God of angel armies. And if one angel can kill 185,000 men in one night, you best believe that a multitude of angels could destroy everything that you know. When you read the Revelation, you find out that God himself sends out angels to do all this stuff. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that are setting themselves against me around the mountain. People can't do much. Pharaoh and his whole army couldn't do anything against a wall of water. They couldn't do anything. There's story after story after story in the Bible of how God fought and that God's methods did more harm and damage to those surrounding armies than the methods of the people who were fighting the battle. It would say, and more died because of God than the people that were fighting. You need to know who you serve so that when you cast your gaze upon him and trust him with your life, you can be kept in perfect peace, you can sleep, it doesn't matter if armies gather around you, it doesn't matter if you have cancer, it doesn't matter if you face the loss of a loved one, it doesn't matter if you face divorce, it doesn't matter if you lost a child. All those things matter greatly to us. But you understand that you are still here. That you still have a God to serve he can give you perfect peace through the valley of the shadow of death. Verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. There's a, a list of psalms called the imprecatory psalms. We dealt with this a few weeks ago and stumped the preacher. We looked up the imprecatory psalms. They're psalms that are calling for vengeance upon the enemies. They're, they're calling out for God to do something. And, and so there are several of those scattered throughout the book of Psalms. Don't ever just try to open the book of Psalms and, and read a, a psalm to somebody to bring encouragement because sometimes it's about destruction. And for that, we're going to turn to uh, Psalm chapter 58. And I'm just going to read through this psalm. And it says, to the chief musician, can't even pronounce that name, Altesh, something. Medicam of David. Verse 1 of Psalm chapter 58 says, Do ye indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do ye judge uprightly, O ye sons of men? Yea, in the heart ye work wickedness. Ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. 
Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as waters which run continually. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as cut in pieces, as a snail which melteth. Melted. I'm sure none of y'all ever melted a snail's soul. Let every one of them pass away like the untimely birth of a woman that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can fill the thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall say, Verily there is a reward for the righteous. Verily he is a God that judgeth the earth. Now that, that sounds pretty harsh, but if you were the one that was thrown in the lion's den, you would hope that God would remove the teeth of the lion. That's exactly what he did for Daniel. You want God to work on your behalf, to fight for you. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Do not try to take your own vengeance, no matter who you face or what's going on. Let God handle it. Let God do it. That's just as much for me as it is for all of you. Verse 8. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Salam. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 20 through 23. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 20 says, Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. You will interact with a lot of people in this world that do not have the same God as you. They will claim that they do but it's not the God of the Bible. It's some false God that they've made up. Verse 21. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together who hath declared this from ancient time, who hath told it from that time, have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. The popular opinion of the world is that you can follow whatever God you choose. I saw one diagram this week. The guy said, either you've got a religion that goes from the top down or from the bottom up. Either you're, you're trying to look to a higher power to deliver you or you're trying to become that higher power. And he was trying to group all these religions together as man has made religion throughout the years. But I tell you, no matter how many gods we can come up with, there's only one. There's just one. And he has proven himself over and over and over throughout the history of mankind. Jesus went to the cross, didn't stay dead, he got back up. And he's coming back any day now. Let it be today. Verse 22, it says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return. 
that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. If you're here and trusting in anything else other than God, other than Jesus, his shed blood on the cross of Calvary, you're in a lot of danger. Because God says he's the only one. And there's no other way. If you're a born-again believer, you need to be about your father's business. Because I want him to find you serving him when he comes. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, this could all be over. It could be in the middle of the night. Maybe in the middle of the day. Jesus is coming soon. I can't wait because I'm tired. Six kids, two jobs, and a way to slap down. I'm ready to rest in the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the calling that you place on each and every one of our lives. God, it's too much for us alone, but when we share that burden with you, when we yoke ourselves together with you, you pull the weight. Many times we're alone for the ride. We get to walk on water without the ability when we keep our eyes focused on you. Lord, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for their faithfulness to you in serving this community as over the past year we have reached out and done events and fed people and clothed people and shared the love of Christ with a cup of cold water, a bag of chips, Coca-Cola. Lord, you've given us a calling for this community. You've placed this church here. And as we go out, people may try to curse us and do all kinds of things against us. But help us to be faithful to you. Remain faithful. Lord, I pray that you would bear much fruit from your faithful servants as you delight in us. Help us, Lord, to delight in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.